Amen. Welcome in to our nine our ten thirty service. Excuse me, ten thirty service. Whether you're joining us in person or online, welcome to Lindsay Lane North. Here we are on Palm Sunday, the day, the week where we celebrate Jesus and His triumphant entry. Right, that as they as they made their way, Him and the disciples made their way into Jerusalem. That the crowds were gathered. He was riding on the colt of a donkey. And they were waving palm branches, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yet this crowd would not remain that favorable because within a week, many of these same people would be amongst the crowd that would be screaming at the top of their lungs, crucify him. But we celebrate on this Palm Sunday as Jesus came in, right? Came in not to be exalted and lifted up, but he came as a servant to die. He entered Jerusalem not to be extolled by others, but to come and to die a sinner's death on the cross for you and for me. This is the last message in our Abide in Me series Uh, talking about how Christ has changed the game for us as believers, that no longer, no longer are we to abide with Jesus in proximity, but we are to abide, he is to abide within us. And so we abide in Christ and what he has done for us. In this Abide in Me series, we have discussed the person of the Spirit. We've talked about the Holy Spirit, that He is another helper. He is of same substance of God. He is God, the same substance of the Son, right, of Jesus. He is another helper, but He is a God who would live within the hearts and the lives of His followers. He would guide us in all truth. He's the counselor. He would guide us in all truth. He's the comforter. And all of these things, we've, we've talked about the person of the Spirit of God. We've talked about once that Spirit invades our life, there is a certain fruit that is produced in our life. We've talked about the, produ- the produce of the Spirit. When the Spirit is there, we bear fruit that looks like His presence in our life. It's not within ourself, it's not our own power, but it comes as we abide in him. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot produce outside of the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So as the people of God, there is a produce that is evident in our life. The people of the Spirit we discussed Jeremiah did a wonderful job sharing how God has created a people for his name. It is not traced through bloodline. It is no longer traced through birthright. But it is received by grace through faith. It is identified by love. It is identified by peace and by joy. And so the people of the Spirit of God are drawn together. They are unified together on the under the ban, only banner that is worthy of producing any type of unity. The problem with this world is they don't have this banner. It's why we live in the disjointed society that we live in. It's the only banner worth unifying under is the banner of Jesus Christ. 
So we find the people of the Spirit, but we also talked about the prophet of the Spirit, right? That it is, Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I leave. What could be better than Christ with me? Christ in me is better than Christ with me. And so it's to your advantage. And so the people of God would go with the presence of God. And everywhere they went as Christians, they brought the presence of God. All of a sudden, the presence of God was without limits in the world. Because everywhere they went, they took the, the presence of the Lord with them. The farewell discourse, if you remember, at the very beginning, began with Jesus. His disciples were gathered with Jesus in the upper room, and he got them all on the same page. He told them things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. When questioned about seeing the Father, Jesus said, Have you been with me so long that you don't know me, Philip? I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus began with himself. In this last message, and about in me, this last portion of his sermon that he preaches to his disciples before he would endure the cross, Jesus ends with himself again. In my speech classes growing up, high school and college, they were unanimous that every good speech needs to be circular. Whatever you bring up at the beginning, it needs to come around at the end, right? You tie it in a nice little bow for everybody. Now, when I preach, I don't always do that. I was also told that you aren't supposed to put your hand in your pocket, but I do that too, right? I do a lot of things. Apparently, I touch my face a little bit. That's my my worship pastor keeps tabs on all of my mannerisms that makes me really insecure about, right? Uh, that's right. I, I, don't, I don't mess with him near as much, though. Not, not near as much. Uh, I'm just kidding. So we, we have been led by the Spirit, right, into his abiding presence, but it centers around the person of Jesus. It begins and ends with Jesus. Lest we forget it is on our own power, Jesus begins to talk about what he has done for his disciples. And because these people have an abiding presence of God in their life, there is the perseverance of the Spirit. The Spirit is not given and then taken back as Jesus was given and then he was removed from the world, right? Doesn't serve for a period of time as we see in the Old Testament. God's Spirit rushed upon Samson and then it was taken back. But we see something distinctive about the Spirit in the New Testament church. And that is that the Spirit perseveres with believers. Stays with us. The the Spirit is not removed from us. And so because of that, there is lasting ramifications in our life. The first thing we're going to see is there is lasting happiness despite hurt. As we look at the perseverance of the Spirit, we see lasting happiness despite hurt. John 16, verse 19, is where we'll be beginning. Listen to what it says in verse 19. Jesus knew that they wanted what they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while you will see me, and again a little while you will, or you will not see me, and then a little while you will see me. 
Truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Let's pray. Lord, in you is the perseverance of joy, is the perseverance of peace. Because God, you have sent your spirit to live within us as your people. God, I lift up the one in here that may not know what that's like, may not have ever received your gift of forgiveness for sins. God, I pray that today would be that day of salvation as Will prayed earlier. Pray that you would move in a powerful way in our service today. Convict hearts and change lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm leaving. This is not news to them. In fact, in the farewell discourse, the name says farewell. He says farewell. A lot. Three times specifically before this. And every time he says he's leaving, he gives them, though, an occasion to rejoice. He says, I'm leaving, but I am going to prepare a place for you. He says, I'm leaving, but I am sending a helper. Right? And here he is saying, I'm leaving, but I'm coming Right, Every occasion of sorrow, every jolt in the disciples of having only experienced a ministry context in which Jesus was around them, Jesus responds with a theological truth that radically transforms their mindset about his leaving. And he says, I'm leaving. And so they were asking questions. What does he mean he's leaving and now he's, and then he's going to come back after a little bit? What does he mean by that? And Jesus says, I know you're asking this question. I know that you're asking this question. He said, you will sorrow, you will lament, but that sorrow will produce joy. He tells them that he's coming back. Since Christ's ministry had begun, the time from Friday... To the Sunday that he would be raised, Friday when he would die, to the Sunday that he would be raised, would have been the longest period of time, based on Jewish customs of how you treat a rabbi, would have been the longest they would have ever been away from Jesus. And at this point, they didn't know. They don't have the benefit of hindsight like we do. But they didn't know how long a little while was. All they knew is they were experiencing something that they had never experienced before in their ministry. And they were balking against it. Jesus is not referring, though, to a time of sorrow and then to a time of joy. He's not referring, we have experienced good moods. And then something through the course of our day, or a few somethings, 
happen in the course of our day to when we arrive at home, when we left in a good mood, we arrive home in a bad mood. That's, that ever happened to y'all? Just me? Okay. We, things are good. And then all of a sudden something happens, a circumstance happens, and we are not good. He is not referencing a period of sorrow to be, to happen after or before a period of joy. What he's actually speaking of, as one seminarian put it, he said, but rather sorrow that creates joy. These two are not separated incidents. You're going to be in a good mood now, and then you'll be in a, or you'll be in a bad mood now, but you'll be in a good mood later. He's saying, what I am doing now is not just sorrow, it is strategic sorrow. It is me initiating sorrow and pain in your life because this sorrow and pain will grow to be, not is unrelated to, but is directly related to the joy that you will experience. Now you will weep and lament. The world, however, will rejoice. So you will have momentary sorrow leading to eternal joy that cannot be taken away. The world has temporary happiness and rejoicing that will lead to sorrow for everlasting. This is what he's telling his disciples. And that's confusing. So he uses an illustration. A woman giving birth to a child. When we had our first child, Cooper was born. Man, I remember how my wife talked about our, our child and how much love that she had for him. And I, I remember we got to the point a few years later, he wasn't as planned. Um, but the second one, we, when we wanted to be planned and we had an idea of timetable. And I remember when we started talking about having our second child. My wife started talking about her pregnancy and started talking about her joy of bringing a child into the world. And I'll just be honest with you, I remembered it a little different. You see, she had these beautiful rose-tinted glasses where she was describing the feeling of holding her child. She was describing uh, the, the feeling of watching him take his first steps, of meeting milestones in his life. She was talking about what it was like to have, to know that a child was, was growing inside of her. And here's what I thought. Girl, that ain't all that happened. I saw you for two trimesters with morning sickness, bad, awful. I heard you in there. It wasn't rainbows and gumdrops, baby. I remember how tired you were in that third trimester. I remember how fatigued you were, how sore you always were. I remember the good, but I really remember the bad. I remember... When we called the anesthesiologist in to give you your epidural and he didn't come quick enough because he was in an emergency C-section. I remember crawling up in that hospital bed and I remember you taking my twice as big as you body and 
squeezing it like my eyeballs were like one of the little toys that their eyeballs pop out. Because you felt like your body was being torn in half. Your words, not mine. I remember spending time in the NICU wondering when we would be able to take our, home, our child home, if ever. But God knew what he was doing when he gave woman the task of birthing children. I'll just tell you, men, if, if you can't be objective about this, you are crazy. Men, we got it good. I mean, show enough good. Right? Not only childbirthing, which the Lord knew what he was doing there, and the human race gone if it was up to us, right? <laughs> nope. Um, that's, that's not going to happen, right? But, I mean, all the stuff that they go through, right? I mean, the lines at the bathroom enough. I don't want to be a woman, right? We go to these things, man. We go in and out, get done, and everything's fine. We're headed back to the seat. Our wife's there for four acts afterwards, right? And so, like, but God gave this to a woman. He said, just like a woman who God gives almost a divine amnesia because of the incredible bundle of joy that fades out everything else, in the same way you sorrow now. But when you look back, man, the only thing that you see is joy. Is it? All you see is the joy of what I am strategically bringing into your life. You don't, so you sorrow today. But your hope and joy is found in tomorrow. While other worldviews, Tim Keller said this, while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. The world's teaching is enjoy the little things. Cherish the fleeting, joyful moments, the happy moments. But to have the abiding presence of God in our life means that we don't have to try to hold on to any bit of scrap of happiness in this world we can find because we have hope for eternity. We have hope in a life to come. This is a game changer for us. We have lasting happiness despite the hurt, despite the pain, despite the loss in this world. Joy is not found in the uncertainty of this life, but in the certainty of the life to come. This is what separates joy from happiness. Happiness is an emotion that is fleeting. Joy is the substance of the abiding presence of God in our life that will not be taken from us. Through the Spirit, the joy of tomorrow surpasses the troubles of today. Through the abiding presence of God, the joy of what awaits us is better. What did Paul say? I count that the present sufferings of this life are not even worth comparing to what I will receive in glory. This is the perspective of a believer. And what does it say there? 
Verse 22, so you also have sorrow now, but you will see, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And listen to what it says. And no one will take your joy from you. Why do I know that the Spirit is going to persevere with us? Because I know the joy doesn't leave us. Many don't, many, we don't really know exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says, I will come again. They don't know if he's talking about literally when he is raised from the dead and they see him for that 40 days. Or at the end of the days when he comes and he brings joy. I tend to believe it's the former. I believe it's him coming after he is raised from the dead. After proving that he was the son of God and then he comes. Why? Because he leaves his believers with joy. And that joy cannot be taken. There is a teaching and a phrase that I hear in the church a lot. I know what's being said, and I'm not the one that, I'm not throwing, you know, I'm not, you know, casting down like this is some heresy. It's just faulty wording. We say things like, hey, what is robbing your joy? Don't we? Man, this, this event, this circumstance, this relationship has really robbed me of joy. Based upon this scripture, what you have said is inaccurate. For a child of God, there is no such thing as taking your joy. Or robbing your joy. The only way that you lose track of joy in your life is not as if it is robbed from you, it is as if it is given by you. It is in your flesh, you choose to operate in the flesh instead of the spirit, and you allow your joy to be given in a circumstance. It's up to you. It's not up. To the world, the enemy, the devil didn't make you do it. This is part of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. He gives us joy and he doesn't leave. Neither should our joy leave. It cannot be taken from us. Secondly, we see lasting connection despite condition. Lasting connection despite condition. John 16 verse 23. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. What is he saying? Look, y'all ask me a ton of questions here, fellas. You ask me questions all the time. My son used to do this, Cooper especially, all the time. Questions, 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 questions. Son, question time is over, all right? It's over. The question answerer is done for the day, right? You're asking me all these questions. One day you're not going to ask me anything. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming that I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech. But I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from The disciples were not unused to praying. In fact, like most good little Jews, they prayed a ton. But for Jesus to say, I'm not going to have to tell you all the answers to your questions. Because instead of being outside of you, I will be inside of you. I will minister to your heart Directly. 
instead of praying a prayer that seems to be bouncing off the ceilings because you are praying it in the power of Peter or the power of Mark or the power of John, you will pray it in my name. Now, there are ramifications for that. Because we, in our prayer life, like to take a list of our prayer needs. We like to write them down. And we like to offer them to the Lord. And we pray diligently for all the requests that we want or desire. Lord, we want to win the lottery. Lord, we want to do this. We want to do that. I want that promotion. I want this. I want that. We give him all the list. And then we give him the phrase that pays in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. That's what we do. To pray in Jesus' name does not mean as a tagline at the end of your prayer for whatever selfish thing that you may or may not need, that may or may not be God's will for your life, for him to be in a contractual obligation to give you what you request. Praying in Jesus' name is not something that's done on the back end. It's done on the front end. To pray in Jesus' name is to pray in a manner that is consistent with the character of Jesus. Well, how do I do that? You know Jesus. What does he say? You don't have to ask me anymore. You're not going to have to ask me these questions because I'm going to live within you. I'm going to minister to your heart. And then the more you get to know me, the more you seek me, the more you find me, the more you ask, it'll be given. The more you seek, the more you knock, it'll be open to you. And then you can pray in my name and say, God, I know this is what you desire because your spirit lives in me. But even Jesus would pray, but Father, not my will, but yours be done. Pray in a manner that is consistent to the character of Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit will be given, man can know the things that are consistent with the character of God as revealed through his Holy Spirit. And then we begin our prayer, not in selfishness and pride, but we begin it with humility and reverence. Prayer is the humble acknowledgement that we are not God, that we are incapable of providing salvation or anything worth a hill of beans of good for us on our own. True prayer prayer in Jesus' name necessitates the death of our flesh. It necessitates that we die to what we want. Is this the posture that we take in prayer? This is what it means to abide is to say, God, it's you, not me, And then the things that are on God's heart become the things on our heart. And we pray in harmony with the heart of heaven. Through the Spirit, in your notes, the adequacy of Christ surpasses the inadequacy of our flesh. We have lasting connection despite our condition. Y'all, why do we don this posture? Why, do we, why are we required to die of our flesh? Because if Christ had not come, the Old Testament way of doing things, 
would still be how we should do it. We would still not have access to Jesus. Jesus would, or the presence of God would be in a place that we couldn't go. He would be praying to a God that we would never experience in a real and relational way. We would always have to make sacrifices to try to measure up, knowing in the back of our minds we're never going to measure up. And God would always be intangible to us. But what Christ did changes us. Our flesh is crucified with Christ so that the life we live is lived in obedience to him. So we must die to our flesh. The cross is the key to understanding how any connection between a holy God and sinful man is possible. It doesn't make sense that God would have anything to do with us in light of his holiness and my ruin. My condition is unsavable. But with God, all things are possible. Apart from the work of Christ... We are not on the same channel. Our flesh is in the way and it causes us to pray and communicate in a wavelength that does not resonate with God. I'll explain it to you this way. I remember using these walkie-talkies. These are pretty expensive ones that we use in our security team. And I can remember going to the beach and having to call in my aunt who never left the beach. Everybody have an aunt that never leaves the beach, right? You better have a, a, a relative that does that. Some of you might be that crazy aunt. Um... And I remember always having to call her, like, Andre, like, um, it's the next day. <laughs> like, you want to live? <laughs> you want to take a nap? You know, I remember calling down, and then what inevitably happened is about lunchtime, I'd start hearing all the feedback from everybody else. Like, I'd be hearing all the other voices, right? I'd be hearing people that are going to eat, hearing people that are going to party, hearing people that are yelling at their husbands because they went up to the house and they got stuck watching something and she wants them to come down and help watch the kids, right? Like we hear on all the different wavelengths. Here's what happens when we pray. If we're not careful, if we don't pray in the spirit, if we don't pray in Jesus' name, we start hearing all these other conversations and all these voices and everything that we say, right? It's not, we are hearing interference, and so, I've got another walkie-talkie in this room, and I can talk with the button down as long as I want. And that, that person on the other end is never going to hear me. It doesn't matter what I say, it doesn't matter how hard I do, because the connection isn't there. Praying in Jesus' name means getting us on the right channel. So finally, when we're on the right channel, we can communicate God can hear us. We're not praying in flesh. We're praying in spirit. Dying to flesh, connecting with the holy, preserving presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And is this what we do in prayer? Jerry Bridges says, Our source of power is in the risen Christ. And we stay connected to him by beholding him in his word and depending on him in prayer. Y'all, we've made a lot of plans for Easter. A lot of them, good ones, big ones, awesome ones. We made a lot of plans. How much have you prayed about it? How much have you prayed for God to move next week in power? How much have you prayed for God to completely wreck your plan 
wreck what you're doing, how you're serving, how you're going to contribute, and that he would receive ultimate glory. What I want to do in here, uh, I believe it was Vance Pittman that said, we are so greatly handicapping the church when we limit prayer to the transitions in our services. Prayer becomes a way to get people on and off the stage. If that's all that we pray, it's no wonder churches don't have the power of God in the life of who they are. So I want to lead us in a time of prayer. I want us to pray for what God's going to do this week. Do in your hearts today, absolutely. But pray specifically about what God wants to do in our Easter services next week. God can move today as well as he can move next week. Right? But I want us to pray with intentionality that all of our plans would be submitted to his lordship. That we would die to any flesh that would separate us from what God would want to do. And that, we, that he would bring glory to himself and that we would not rob him of that glory. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to spend some time here at the altar in just a moment. We're going to start some music. And I want to give you the opportunity for silent introspective prayer. You can make. You can come and join me at this altar. I would invite you to come and do that. You don't have to. You can make your altar your seat. But I just want you to respond praying for God to do a mighty, mighty work. Why? Because we know that he, that is his heart. His heart is to change lives. His heart is to end brokenness and lostness. And so we're going to pray in his name together, individually, but collectively as a church. We're going to Storm the gates of hell in this way. All right? So would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning. Lord, we know that we can't do anything without you. You are the God of the possible, not the impossible. Lord, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, some of us have heavy hearts for our neighbors, our family members, and Lord, for the lost. Lord, we ask you to move in a mighty way. Not only in our lives, but in the lives of the ones that truly, truly need you. 
Father God, I pray for every person that's here to grow in you, with you, and for you, Lord. Lord, this coming week, give us opportunities to serve you, to tell others about this upcoming Easter service, Lord. Lord, we ask you that you remove any and all obstacles in our way. Lord, help us put you first in every decision, every moment, and every thought in our lives. God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church, for doing that with me, and we are going to continue to pray for God to do or make that a daily time of prayer. My glasses are super fogged up now. Um, make that a, a daily request, an hourly request that we see God move uh, in power. Thirdly and finally, we've seen, lasting, uh, we've seen lasting happiness despite hurt. We've seen lasting connection despite our condition. Thirdly and finally, we see lasting peace despite performance. Look at verse 28. I came from the Father, and I have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. This, his disciples said, ah, got it, got it, finally. You've been with the Father, come down, now you're going back to the Father, and you're going to come back, got it. Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus says, hmm, interesting. You believe. So you now believe. Look at verse 32. Behold, the hour is coming. By the way, just a few hours from then. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered. You will run in every direction, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. You believe in me. You believe that I am from God. And yet, when the Armies come when the centurions show up, when Judas plants a kiss on me, you will flee. Well, that doesn't sound like someone who believes. But I'm not alone. For the Father is with me. Disciples, you say you believe now. And maybe in your head you do. But it hadn't made it to your heart yet. That's still to come. But me, I and the Father are one. And though you may leave me, I have the Father. I have something that you don't have. That's why I'm going away. I've said these things to you. That in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. 
but take heart. I have overcome the world. Incredible message of peace in the immediate context of probably what will be the disciples' greatest failure. When it really mattered, when Jesus really needed me, I ran away. Rather than risking imprisonment for my association with Jesus, I fled. Jesus said, it's okay, fellas. I've said these things that you'll have peace. At the beginning of his discourse, Jesus' message was about him. At the end of his discourse, Jesus' message was about him. Do you know what we also see in both of those areas? In John 14, he says, My peace I give you. Not as the world gives you. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. It's a message of peace. What does he say at the end? I've said these things so that you'll have peace. The distinctive of a child of God is the posture that it is well with our soul. It may not be well with my mind. It may not be well with my hands. It may not be well with my body and where I'm at. It may not be well. There may be sickness. There may be disease. There may be loss. There may be tragedy. There may be pain. But it is well with my soul. Jesus has finished the work necessary, not just for my salvation, but also for my sanctification. I abide in him and he brings peace why is this world so void of it because it has forsaken him in this world you'll have trouble in the context of their greatest failure Jesus brings a message of peace it's not about our performance it's lasting peace through the abiding presence of his Holy Spirit, despite how we function for him. Through the Spirit, faith in Christ surpasses the failures of self. Can I get an amen for that? That the faith in Christ, you think you believe now, and you may in your mind, but one day your heart will believe because I will place my spirit within you. Jeremiah talked about it. Ezekiel talked about it. Isaiah talked about it. The prophets prophesied about it. I will make your heart new. And then you don't have to ask. You can know me. And you will pray in my name. You will act in my name, and the world will never be the same. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? There is peace in Jesus. No one can take your joy. No one can take your peace. That is divinely placed by the Holy Spirit of God. Or it isn't. 
If you're here and you don't have that peace, that joy, my friend, chances are very good you don't have that relationship. And I would love to invite you. You ain't got to wait till Easter to allow God to move in your heart. Today can be the day of salvation for you. So if you need to respond to that message, I would ask you to respond. When I say amen, you can stand. Come, come find the center aisle. Find me here at the front. I'd love to talk to you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have peace, joy, love. Be one of the people of the Spirit that we talked about a few weeks ago. You can have that today as your possession because of what Jesus did for you. Not because of any merit of yourself. So quit trying to clean yourself up first. You are incapable of doing that. Don't try to make yourself better and more appealing. Jesus will take you as you are and he will do that. But whatever decision that you need to make, I pray that you would come. Father, I'd have your will and way in this place, in our hearts, in our lives. Make us obedient to you because of the overwhelming gratitude of our heart that has been pricked by your Holy Spirit, that has been indwelt, that has filled us. May we never go back. May we respond to you. Pray for one that may need to follow you in believer's baptism. Pray that they would come today. Pray for one that may need to intercede for a lost friend that they know that needs to be here for Easter. Maybe they... They need to pray for something in their own life that they need to lay down. Someone who needs to join what we're doing as a church. Lord, all those decisions they can bring to here to your feet. Lord, and I'd love to help them with how we can move forward from there. I'd have full reign in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? As we sing in this time of response, would you come? This altar is open. I'm here. Would love to receive you. Whatever you need to do.